The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. That is how the word of God describes itself, living and effective. Everyone, is that anywhere near to our own experience of the proclamation of the word of God? Is it living? Is it effective? Does it pierce our hearts? Now, before I make you feel bad, because you may be saying, Father, no, not really. That's not my purpose tonight. In fact, a lot of the responsibility of those times in which the living word of God is not alive, is not effective, falls to us, falls to me, falls to preachers, that oftentimes in us, there's an inability to effectively break open the word of God so that it can do what it's intended to do, namely feed and nourish, convict hearts, convert hearts, pierce hearts, love hearts. And so the job of a priest, the job of a preacher, the job of what we're doing right here at Mass at this very moment in the context of Mass is really rather simple. To try to find a way to effectively break open the Word of God so that it can be received and perceived as living and effective. Period. So with that rather strong analysis of the purpose of a homily, I have no other choice tonight than to try to do just that. Whether or not this is effective, who knows, but I at least got to give it a shot. So what do we mean? We're breaking open the Word of God. Mark chapter 10, this wonderful story of who? The rich young man. I want to point out at the very beginning, when he runs up to Jesus, we already know something about this man's heart, don't we? First, you'll notice that he runs to Jesus. What does that tell us? That this man has some sense, some inkling, that this itinerant preacher from Nazareth by the name of Yeshua might have something to say about this burning question on his heart. He also kneels in front of him and calls him a teacher. What does that tell us? that he sees Jesus through the lens of respect. So this man has good will, good intentions. He's a good man, a good heart. And then he asks Jesus that question that's burning on his heart. What is it? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what kind of question is that? We would call it a big life question, right? Now I trust most of us each morning when we get up and we get ready and look in the mirror, we don't look in the mirror and say, what's the meaning of life? Now maybe you do, but there are times, everyone, where that is an important question to ask. What is the meaning and purpose of my life? Where is my life headed? Is it just one thing after another or is there something more to it? That is the kind of question this man is asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus then says, keep the commandments. He says, I've done that. 
I've done that for my youth. So what do we also know about this man? That he's well catechized, so to speak. That he's living a good moral life. But there's still something more that he wants. And then what happens next is key to this entire passage. We're told that Jesus looks at him and loves him. Now, what I'm going to tell you next, you're not going to believe me, but you've got to trust me on this. Everyone, when Jesus looks at him and loves him, it is the only time in the Gospels where we are told that Jesus looks at another with love. There is no other place we're told. All the encounters he had with the apostles, healings, miracles, Mary Magdalene, all these different people he would have encountered and possibly looked at with love, certainly, we're never told that he does. But in this case, we're told that he looks at him and loves him. And how does the man respond? He misses it. He misses the gaze. For whatever reason, we don't entirely know, but he misses the gaze of Jesus. Why is it so? What does this man have? Well, in this case, it's wealth. That is to say, he is preoccupied. There is something that has preoccupied him, and because of this preoccupation, he has missed the gaze of Jesus. Imagine if he would have caught his eye. He probably would have done all these things Jesus said to do. But he didn't. Because he missed it. So what does that mean for us? What preoccupies us? What takes our attention? Where Jesus might be trying to look on us with love in a personal, intimate way, and we miss it. And I'll be the first to confess everyone, I probably miss it 99% of the time because I'm preoccupied with other things. This weekend, we have the opportunity to name what that is for us, what that is for our family, what that is in our marriage, what that is in our heart. What preoccupies us and maybe prevents us from seeing Jesus gaze upon us with love. The irony in this gospel is this man is looking for more and the more is right in front of him because the more is Jesus and he's standing right there. And the same is the case for you and I. He is always there. He is gazing with love. May our preoccupations not prevent us from missing his gaze.